Okay, we are in um, Timothy right now. We're actually, we've got three more sermons, uh, two more after today on Timothy, and then we'll wrap that up. And we'll be go- moving into a few uh, sermons on, uh, or a few weeks on church vision here as we start the new kind of calendar year or school year. And then, uh, and I believe we're going into John. Yeah, Leah says John. So, um, Timothy is a letter from a pastor, Paul, to a pastor, Timothy. And so what we're reading into this letter a lot is like, how do we operate as a church? What is a healthy way of operating in church? So there's a lot of tangible um, direction that comes through this, but it's all grounded in Christ and the gospel and displaying the gospel. And that's what we're trying to find through these letters as we teach them. I think that's what we can receive from these letters whether we're leaders or not leaders, I think it's really important for us to have a vision for what a healthy church looks like, what a healthy faith looks like, and we can read that here, and I pray that we can do that today. So with that, I'm going to read. I don't know if you guys can see this. I didn't check it ahead of time, but I'm going to read from 1 Timothy 6, 2b, so the second half of 2 through verse 10. So if you have um, a phone or an app or a Bible, that sh- they should be in the pews in front of you. Please grab that. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. It might be helpful to hand it in front of you guys. And like I said, this might not be easy to read. So let me read this and then we'll pray. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived in truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But, if, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's pray. God, I I pray that we hear this truth, that we heed this warning, that we treasure um, knowing Jesus and focusing on Jesus as individuals, as families, as a church. And God, I pray that we see hope in this as well as we read. Um, Sometimes these warnings can be a little bit scary or or come down like they're rules, but I, I pray that we see hope, that we have something greater to look towards. Um, as we come, as we read this, and that we're encouraged by that. And God, I just pray to, um, there's a lot going on in the world, a lot of calamity, a lot of death, a lot of pain, a lot of division. I pray that we look to you, God, as our sense of security, that we look to you as our hope through all of this, that we have an eternal mindset um, looking towards the promises you've made. And that we see all of this with that lens and that we lean on you and your truth as we go through that. Help us to hear that today. Help us to encourage each other in that today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay. So teach and urge these things. I just really quickly, I know I did a little bit of an overview, but I, what I wanted to do is take a couple minutes and talk about this letter as a whole and step back. We've been going through First Timothy for basically the whole summer, and Paul is coming to the end of what he's admonishing or encouraging Timothy to do here. And the whole letter is really about this idea. The Ephesian church, as we saw in chapter 1 here, um, the Ephesian church is in trouble. And Paul loves the Ephesian church. He said um, in, in a letter directly to the Ephesians um, that he thanks God for them every day, that he knows that they're, they're saved. He's encouraged by that, and he gives them some instruction there. In this letter here, it says in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, explicitly to Timothy, I'm leaving you here. Like he, Timothy was going around preaching the gospel um, and starting churches as well, and Paul has asked Timothy, please stay here. They're at a tender time right now, and I need you to make sure that they are focused on sound doctrine. And so throughout the letter that we read here, there's this idea of coming back to make sure your teaching is good. Here are a few instructions here of how, to, how you should set up the church, how you know, gender roles, inclusion is kind of mentioned in there. Um, there's structures of elders and leadership and kind of the qualifications for what elders need to be to be good servants to the church and support for the church and helping to center it. And then he kind of, in the middle, and Caleb preached this partway through, he talks again like, um, come back to good doctrine. <laughs> and then he kind of goes through out of that a few more chapters that we're, we've preached through that talk about caring for different groups within the churches or within the church. And then he's now coming back to finish up the letter here in these last couple chapters, and he's coming back to it again, like have good teaching. And I think that's really important for us to hear, to think about like why is teaching so important? And it's because we can be led astray by so many things. And Paul is kind of giving one final warning to Timothy to make sure that he's watching out for that. Fight against bad teaching, but also bring good teaching into the mix for, for the Ephesians here. So what I want to do here today is I want to go through and I want to talk about spe the specifics of um, what Paul's saying through this passage and just ask a few questions, explore this, and then come to the end and, and talk about what good teaching would look like in here. So there's four questions. One is, who are these teachers? Paul talks about that. Two is, what are the outcomes of their teaching? Three is, what are they teaching? And then the fourth one here, what are they missing in here? Which Paul gives us um, some direction on as well. So who are these teachers? Um, Paul talks about in, in verse 4 and 5 here, he, he calls them out. He says, the signs or the marks of these teachers, their character, are that they're puffed up. They're, they're arrogant, they're conceited, and they're ignorant, right? So they, they don't understand the gospel, and they think they can speak out of this knowledge, but they don't really understand it. It's not true wisdom they're speaking out of. And he says what happens or what you see in them is that they crave controversy. So they love when people debate the things that they're debating, right? And so I know we, we can be like this. All of us can be like this in different ways. Um, to be conceited, to know that we've got it right, but also to love when people debate it and like, to see the dissension in that. And what comes out of that is um, 
the opposite of a healthy church. It talks about, so, uh, these are all indicators of self-interest, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and just, um, yeah, just selfishness overall. Jesus said that all people will know that we are Christians by our love, love for one another, not the friction that we have debating nuances in the Bible, not arguing over um, petty things, but rather knowing that we are changed by the gospel and working out of that in unity. We saw the early church in Acts changed by the word and immediately sit under teaching, breaking bread, and holding things in common, not holding debate sessions, right? Not fighting over who's at higher authority. And that's, those, are, those are the signs that we want to pursue as a church. And we want to watch for those things if they start to seed early. I think it's important to note that it's not a binary thing. There aren't like teachers who are this way and teachers who are that way. Good teachers and bad teachers. They're not churches that have it all right, churches that have it all wrong. I would say, maybe there's some that kind of live in those spaces, but there's things that kind of creep in on us, and we want to watch for those and pursue a healthy church together. We're sinners. Um, the elders are sinners. You guys are all sinners. I hate to break it to you. We're, we don't have it all right. And so where we have it right is aligning and looking to the Spirit and coming together under that in unity and pursuing truth together positively in love. That's, that's what we're called to do. Not that we can't disagree. Not that we can't read other things outside of our church. Um, we want to do that. We don't want blind followership. But what we want is to come together and pursue truth together. And that's what we're trying to do. So what are they teaching? They're teaching that godliness is a means of gain. And that sounds right, right? Like it's, it's like, of course, God, we gain from God. But what they're teaching specifically here is about gain here, physical gain. Um, they're preaching, uh, sometimes it's referred to as a prosperity gospel. It's, um, it's putting us in our, what we think should happen or what we want to happen or what we think we need at the center of what God's purpose is rather than God's, um, putting God's purpose of um, displaying his glory and his love for us at the center. Um, let's see. We have, there's a, I mean, we're, I think this year's been the hardest for us. We have health needs. We have fears. We want security. Um, we want power. We want control. And all of these are real to us. And these teachers are kind of speaking into that in people. And I think we have to watch for that. What are people kind of speaking into in our lives? And is it something that's calling us to think about ourselves less and more of Jesus? Or is it something that's kind of speaking into what we need and what we deserve? And then whether that's coming from inside of the church or outside of the church, that's something we want to watch and, and hold each other accountable to seeing. Uh, let's see. More specific here, um, Paul's, it sounds like if the Ephesians are going through um, something where the teaching is really on riches. And, um, so the last couple of verses here talk about 
the last couple of verses here talk about the desire to be rich and the love of money. And so Paul's cautioning them against that. This is not, if you kind of go back to the first couple of verses here, this isn't aligned with the teaching of Jesus explicitly. In the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew, if you, I, I would suggest any kind of secondary reading this week, that would be a fantastic place to go to see Jesus' words, especially on this topic, but to kind of branch out from there. Jesus talks about like our, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Um, that we, we cannot love both uh, God and money. It's a separation. We, um, I think it's important to note here there's kind of two things. One is it's explicit about the love of money. It's not about whether you have it or not or whether you have health or not, that you're more blessed or um, that you are in a bad space if you actually have money. It's more about where is your heart? What's the love of money? And then the other piece is, and, and this is something that I had wrong. I, I always remember this verse as the root of all evil or people kind of say it that way. And it's actually, it can lead into a lot of different places for us. It can be very deceptive. Um, if we desire security, and I know people that do this, they look to their money to be able to build their own security. If we, de if we desire fame or, um, or to be noticed by people, we can look to our money to do that and use our money to do that. And so what it does is it kind of helps to, in our minds, probably help close this gap of what we want or what we think we need and um, how we can achieve it on our own. And I think that's, that's an avenue in for us. Money can be that. And that's why it's talked about so much in the Bible. Jesus talks more about money than he talks about sex. And so it's like both are, are things that can be snares for us. But money, I think, is a little bit more deceptive. It's a little more under the radar because we can just self-justify a lot more th our status on money. Well, I'm not like them well, I don't have this quite yet, or, you know, it's okay. Um, it's okay for us to enjoy your money, and it is, but then we can start to self-justify and have this kind of creep in underneath our being without it knowing. And so I think that's why it's important really for us to call it out and to think about it uh, as a church family within your family and just check ourselves on like, hey, are we using money? Are we leaning on money? Are we pursuing money as a means of gain or as a means of security or whatever that is? And that's what Paul is calling out here. The problem, then, is ruin and destruction, right? That's kind of the, in simple terms. So that leads us down this path. Like, if we set our heart upon some, on money or something besides God, if we expect something in our faith, um, I followed God or I will follow God if, I, if God could just make me healthy, if God could just give me this one thing, then what we're doing is we're putting that thing in front of God. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a really good thing, um, but if we put conditions on following God and looking to Jesus, then that makes it about us, not about his work. So what are they missing? They're missing contentment. So... What does that mean? I like to think of things in um, terms of math equations because I'm an engineer. So I put one together here for us. So Paul was saying that these bad teachers are imagining that godliness is 
uh, a means of gain, and then immediately comes in behind it and says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so there's something better for us if we can be content here. So, and I think they have their definitions wrong here in this math equation. What are we trying to gain? What's our true problem that needs to be solved here? Is it what we see, what we experience right here? Is there something greater on a spiritual plane or beyond us that we don't see or we don't really feel? And our problem is really death, right? Our, our problem is that we die and that we are separated from God. We don't have a way to him uh, on our own. Paul says um, in the next letter that he writes, 2 Timothy, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification in life of all men. The goal is life. So, that's what we're aiming for. The goal is eternity. When we're going through things, we want to think about, what am I pursuing this for, and what goal do I have? Is it per- am I thinking about eternity here, or am I thinking about right now, in the physical, in the perishable? Godliness is not being like the act of acting holy, or being smarter than everyone else, or like having, doing all the right things. Godliness is Jesus. Peter uh, preached a few weeks ago on 1 Timothy 3 and did a great job kind of building on this, but really it was, godliness was a mystery until Jesus came. And what Paul's calling out here is that the mystery, um, like now we're at a place where we know the mystery. We know the answer to the mystery of godliness. And it's this. He was manifested in the spirit, or manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the group, or in the world, and taken up in glory. This is all Jesus and his work. We're not doing anything in this. Jesus was in the beginning of creation with God. Um, The fullness, the Bible says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in, in him. He had all of the riches. He gave all of that up. He lowered himself, emptied himself of the power, of power to become a man. Not only a man, but a servant to humans ultimately to sacrifice himself, to go through the ruin and destruction that comes with sin, that was called out there, uh, associated with the, like going down that path of loving money. To go, he went through that ruin and destruction. He was pierced on our behalf to take the punishment that comes with that, to reconcile it, to make it right. And then and he did it all as an act of love. The uh, Hebrews says that he did it for the joy that was set before him. Not because he had to do it, but because he wanted to do it, because he loves us in that. And he closed the separation between God and humans that we have created. Sin came in through Adam in disbelief, 
and lack of trust, and we continue to display that lack of trust. And Jesus, despite that, does, has done his work for us. And I think that's really important for us to know and not just be in, intellectually stimulated by, but to actually like think about and know. If we believe this, if we really believe this, then the Bible promises that we'll be made, we will be born again, we'll be made new by this, and we will be equipped to walk in the steps that he has prepared for us. So it's not that we do nothing and just sit and be content and we let go and let God, but we have to be grounded and clothed by Christ to do that work that he's already prepared for us so that we can point to him through that work, so that we can honor him through that work because he's the one that did it. He becomes our food. It says it talks about contentment as food and clothing. I think it's interesting in different parts of the Bible. He it talks about him as being our food that we partake in him that he is the true manna from heaven. It also talks about uh, the Bible also talks about him as our clothing that we're to put on Christ, that we're to put on the imperishable things to uh, so that we might so that we might live forever with him as the perishable is burnt. I like to think about this as a gift. Um, if, if we really believe this and that God has done all of this, we can't do anything, then it's really a gift. And I think about, like, how would I want my kids to receive a gift? If I, if I worked to give them something really, really good out of my love, would I want them to lord it over other people that they have this gift? Would I want them to squander it? Would I want them to um, come back to me and say, it's about time? Sometimes they might, but I don't want it. Um, or, or would I want them to enjoy it and share it, right? Would I want their hearts to be changed by the fact that it's a gift? Would I, would I want them to work it back and try to earn it, to say like, okay, that gift costs $1,000, I'm gonna work back $100 a week and then we'll be good, right? The ledger will be good. No, I want them to enjoy it. It's a gift for me. If any of the other things they do, it shows that they don't understand the fullness of the love that I put into that gift. And I think that, I just think about that a lot. I think that for me, like, how am I receiving this gift? And then how am I acting out of that? And how am I being changed by it? And I think that's the word that Paul has for us here. So if, if we know that gain is life, if we know that that godliness isn't the work we have to do to, to be better, but really it's Jesus and like sitting in and enjoying that gift and rolling around and sharing that gift with other people, then that's what contentment is. Like we, we realize we can't do anything to pay that back. We can't do anything to make ourselves look better in it or gain status within it because it's freely given to all of us. So there's no hierarchy of who receives the gift. There's no rhyme or reason of some groups or some actions being better, but rather it's just being content in that. Okay. Paul says in Philippians, another letter in Philippians, he says, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had the high of highs, the low of lows. He had money, he didn't have money. 
He had, um, and he still, he found contentment in all those situations because none of those things mattered. They're all here. They're all going to be burnt up. Nothing, we don't take anything out of this world, he says in this letter um, explicitly to Timothy. We come in with nothing and we leave with nothing. Why do we think that we can do anything to add value to the work that's been done? Okay, so what now? I think it, it sounds really easy to say our job then is to be content and to grow in contentment. But I think that there's some work and some intentionality that has to be behind this. One is the intentionality of really processing and receiving this news and this, um, um, this gift, right? Some of you probably don't really know like what you believe. Where do you stand with God? Where, where do we, where is our hope? But also like you just don't really understand. Something doesn't feel right. Like we're just, it doesn't feel like we're content. Or maybe we think we're content, but not, things just aren't really falling together the way we expect them to. We're still unsettled. I think it's really important, again, to, to use our minds to think through this stuff, but somehow find a way to say, like, how is this, how does this change us? How does this transform us? It's not just something to know and to be smart about. It's not just, church isn't just a club that we come and hang out with people that we like, which we do like, but it's actually like being in the family of God and being changed by grace. And if we feel like we're not being changed by grace, then there's probably a problem. Either as believers, maybe we're, we're missing something, and that's why we're together in community, because we can encourage each other through that. Or as unbelievers, I think we have to weigh really seriously um, something, is this real? Why is this real for some people? Why do I keep rejecting this? And who can I talk to about it? And there's people, there's going to be people up here, there's people within the church, please, um, please reach out and, and let's talk about it either here or in the future. Um, and then I think our job is to grow in contentment. And so that means dive deeper into the gospel together, right? So, and how do we do that? One is, both as individuals as in a church, it's the word. If, if we're not looking to the word as our truth, then we are starting to probably apply what we think truth should be to what we think the word says, right? And so that's really important for us to make sure that we are looking to the word, um, Ideally, we start to have a hunger for the word because we're being changed. But if you don't feel it, just know that it's truth and look to that and, and open it up and actually read it. And let's debate it for what it says, not what we want it to say. The, other, the next thing is doing this in community. And so I would just say, be careful about some of the lies or some of our, our inclinations where we think we can do community separate from each other, or we think we can do Christianity separate from each other. I think especially through COVID, there's a lot of people that think, oh, I can, I can do church from my home, which is great. And it was really a gift to have so that we could still somehow connect when it was the hardest to connect. But we are meant to be in community. Like the Acts Church, everyone, we, we are meant to come together. The, 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 the Bible says that we are one body with many parts. So God has, Jesus has equipped us to be together and complement each other and encourage each other forward. And so come and do that. Do that intentionally well. 
And it, again, don't just do it on the surface, but like, let's get to know each other more. Let's pursue truth together more. What if we were a church that did that? And then teaching. I think that that's the third thing, and Paul says it throughout the, the letter here, is let's sit under teaching together. God intends for some roles in the church to help us come together uh, under teaching. And the Bible says that the Spirit works through teaching, even if we're not good teachers like me. Like, it's the Spirit's working, and we are to come together under that teaching together. And so I would just say, um, look to the teaching, try to hear the teaching, and then I would say also, if you're getting information from other places, great. But let's come together and talk about those things rather than saying, well, I read this online or I read this book or whatever that is. That's all fine and good, but this is the church that God has created and brought us together under. Um, you don't see those leaders that write those books. You don't see, and that's fine. I'm not saying they're bad, but um, it, we can be messy. I get that. But there's something important about us being messy together in the grace that's shown through that and for us to pursue those things together. And I think it's really easy for us, especially now with the internet, to anonymously go and read something and say, I like this. This speaks to me. And then we go off on this tangent and we start to separate ourselves from the church because we like something that we read there rather than stretching it out and looking to something that's more absolute and objective truth. Okay, and so um, just a, a quick verse that I was thinking about when I was putting this together. Second um, Peter 1.3 says, Jesus' divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory of God glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need in this, faith, in this walk. He's, he has prepared all the work ahead of time for us. But it doesn't mean that we just sit in, in, um, in it or we, that we idly kind of coast within it, but we're actually called to like work together in that. And the rest of this, if you go back and, and read the rest of this chapter, it talks about how to build upon your faith through knowledge and moral excellence and godliness and brotherly kindness, really great things for us to like read through and chew on um, as individuals and as a church community. So that's it. Um, I just, I think these are good words for us to hear. I love Trent. I, we didn't even plan it, but I felt like Trent just kind of coming in and like conveying to us and reminding us that, you know, we they love this church, and there's good reasons for that. The Spirit's working here. We're growing together. I would say don't take these words as admonishment, um, but more encouragement. I think we do most of this well. We do a lot of this at well at Hiawatha. I think that we have to fight for our church in this way, though, as well. I think we have to lean into each other harder when it's so easy, when there's so many stresses going on in our lives and around the world where we want to find different answers because maybe the answers we have don't feel like they're, um, they are satisfying to us right now to what we think we need with our earthly minds. Um, and so let's pursue that together, okay? Let me pray, and then I'll invite the band up to...